Hey, TABC family, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we seek to go deeper into Sunday's teaching and ask the questions that will help us live out God's word in our daily lives. That's why we do this podcast, to equip the followers of Jesus here at 12th to grow in obedience and affection for him every day. Our hope is that at 12th, we would be a biblical community of kingdom people who are joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. And our desire is that our time together today equips you to do just that. Thanks for being with us. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. It is Garen and Jordan coming to you talking about Garen's message on the 10th. Uh, kind of this epilogue part one of Nehemiah. So we're excited to jump in. Again, before we before we get going, you're kind of on my side. Can you scooch over? You're a little off sides, Garen. A little bit. Yeah, just you're, an inch though. I'm just an inch off yeah. sides. So Actually, it's, it's pretty if obvious. If it's an inch it's, off side, it should be. It's pretty obvious how off sides you are. So could you give that? There you go. Don't worry. A lot of people do that more than you'd think. Well, at least you gave me a warning because I should, it should always have a warning. Do you think right? you deserve a warning before an official? Yeah, okay. I think at least you didn't call some penalty on me before a warning. No, I wouldn't, me, so. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. You're special, so, Garen. You get special treatment. Yeah, well, I so I wouldn't do that, that. to you. All right. We've got that out of the way. Good. Hey, um, wanted to jump into what Garen talked about. Garen, you kind of started with um, this, just like talking about vocation and calling, and then you kind of brought it to the text a little bit after. So it started off a little bit topical, and then you just really applied it well to Nehemiah, and I thought that was really well done, and so enjoyed it. But even before the message, you had a child dedication, and I know we talk about this in service and give it time, but just really quickly— Maybe for people who didn't see that or whatever, why do we dedicate kids here at 12th and what does that mean we're doing? Yeah. I mean, again, it's we're living in the history of the Jewish people of Jesus because that's what happened with them. But to me, it reemphasized that whole idea of why would why we bring people up front and and we do all of this stuff. To me, it's the idea that we need to do things in community. It's why God puts in feasts and festivals. We need to have physical things we do like baptism, like communion. We are wired to do things in community, mark meaningful moments, that kind of thing. And I do think it's really, it's an important way of coming before the people and saying, I I want this community to know I'm committing to raising this child to know Jesus. And those things are significant. You know, we live in such an individualistic, privatized culture. Oh, yeah. Um, that to do to do those events that are markers and they're done in community has always been part of the people of God. And that's yeah. why we do it. Cool. So nothing spiritual is happening up there. Nothing spiritual, but it's just, I think it's a good marker for the parents. And even, you know, what we did that every time our kids, we'd light the candle. We'd say, you know, many years ago, we... We want you to know we made a pub. We made a commitment, Pat and I, but we made a public commitment that we were going to raise you to Lord and yeah. for the Lord. And Garen, it was so funny. I was um, sitting in front of a family yesterday during the dedication, and as you're talking about that, you're like, "Yeah." And here's the candle, and we lighted every birthday to signify that they belong to God, and and going through all that. And some little kid leans over to their mom and not so quietly goes, "Mom, why do we never do that?" <laughs> And she's like trying to get him to be quiet. It was so funny. Oh, I was dying. That is funny. Mom, yeah. why don't we ever do that? <laughs> hey, quit asking questions. We're taking you to nursery if you don't be quiet. Okay, so we started off with this whole idea of, uh, of vocation. And 
really the whole, the question of the whole thing, Garen, was how do I know what I want to do with my life and how do I make it worthwhile? So just before we even get going, why this topic and, um, did you right away see that it fit into Nehemiah or was it something that came to you later? Yeah, no, pretty, yeah, pretty early. Even I had mentioned in May, I had seen this. I had actually seen this years ago. I had done this with some international students. I was looking back like eight years ago. I remember when we were going through Nehemiah in a different form and I remember it just stood out to me like this guy, I can see all these things of how God called him and how all these components came together for his life. And so he kind of became a model for me. And so when I knew I was doing Nehemiah, I knew that that was something I was going to have to do was this, because it's such an important topic. Again, everybody asks it and it's not just college students. Yeah. I talk with people from all walks of life who are still, even in their forties, that midlife crisis, like, am I really doing the thing I'm supposed hmm. to be doing? Yeah. You know, and that's part of what the midlife crisis is, is have I given my first 20 years of work to something mm. that really is, I'm not wired for. And that's yeah. part of what that is, is like, am I, am I doing the right thing? I so. never thought about that. So on your own journey, did you encounter these questions? Did you have to wrestle through them or did you solve them pretty quickly um, for yourself? I did not have this framework. Um, I think I, I was able to live into this reality because I did have a pretty clear picture of gifts and strengths. I had a pretty, you know, some passions that were pretty strong, um, but I didn't have this as a framework. But even in my own vocational journey, there were periods where I'm like, am I really, am I, you know, is God going to, does he have something else for me? Is there something that's a better fit? Or, because I, I think everybody asks those questions. Mm -hmm. So there were times that I even kind of had to go through this stuff again and pray and ask questions. So who was the Garen in your life who was maybe giving you a little bit of advice on this or pointing you towards thinking a different way about it? Um, there wasn't a person. It was maybe, it was probably books that I read or mm. as I read things that these things came more to my forefront. I'm like, oh, this, these are helpful categories. Like, I don't even remember where I got those four questions. I've had them for quite a long time, but that came from a book, I think. And it was helpful for me. And then I started using that with people. I think if I was ever given the honor of picking out um, what's put on your gravestone one day, yeah. I would put Garen Forsyth. He read the book, so we didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Garen reads them. That, that might they, make it. That might he, make it. He really boils it down to about two or three quotes and puts it in a message. And I think, there you go. Now I've read that whole book. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So, yeah, so what's going to go on there is uh, I can hear the prairies calling out your name. That uh -huh. already is going on. Okay. But now I think that's going underneath Smaller, it. like 10 yeah. point font. Yeah, 10 below. point font. In papyrus. Yeah, in papyrus. Okay, don't Definitely. worry. I'll make sure that that's, those wishes are honored. Yeah. Aaron, okay. Thank you. Don't, don't you worry. He's not dying or anything, but one day, one day we'll, we'll honor him well. Okay. Um, you talked about this kind of default position of the West to, to assign really high value to what we might call quote unquote vocation, where it's a calling, maybe it's spiritual, right? If it's in the church or something yeah. like, it's very like upper room. Yes. That's a high calling. That's a that's... high calling. But then if you're like just a teacher or just a mailman or just a whatever, then yeah. that's not really a vocation. That's just like, you're just earning a paycheck. Yeah. And you, and you're in a paycheck so you can support the people who are really doing right. the work of God. So right? you can come to church and give your money to yep. the really important yeah. jobs, right? You steered us away from that, right? It is all good work. It is all spiritual work. Yes. It is all opportunities to be 
um, renewing and restoring wherever we are. And you kind of boiled vocation. So everything, you said everything is vocation. Everything is a calling if we allow it to be. And then you kind of started to say, okay, well, how do I discern my vocation? How do I discern where I'm being called uh, to work, right? Or like what kind of ministry am I supposed to do and where? And you talked about these three words, ability, affinity, and opportunity. And ability is just what we're naturally good at, affinity or desires we have or brokenness we see in the world. What's our holy discontent? And then- And you, passions and desires. And pa- right, passions uh-huh. and desires, right. And you kind of took those two things, ability and affinity, and boiled them down and said, you know, at the center of all this is your sweet spot. Yep, that's the sweet spot. So where your ability and your affinity intersect right there in the middle, that's your sweet spot. That's what you're good at. And so- um, that's what we've got to be on the lookout for. Is that kind of where you Yeah, I think that? that's the thing is like, Lord, I feel like this is how you've designed me. These are the things you put inside of me. And so that's the direction I want to move as I seek um, that calling or what it is that you created me to do. Yeah. And again, we can get a minute to the cautions that sometimes when, when you're younger, you think you need to get immediately fully into that, mm-hmm. into a place that is. And but yeah, that that is. And you know, when we talked about ability, one of the things I left on the editing room floor, because I just talked about knowing your strengths and gifts. Yeah. You know, I said, I think we all have a handful. Um, but a couple of people who write on this say that, um, that a lot of times there's one particular thing that's closer to the root of how God designed us and created us. That's one, not always true, but a lot of times maybe there's one thing that we're really, really good at that Parker Palmer calls our birth competency. And if we develop that thing, it can become full-blown mastery. Mm. You know, again, this wouldn't be everybody, but I didn't even mention that. But that's even a thing to consider is if I were to even, just for my own kind of understanding how God's wired me, is there one particular thing that I feel like I'm best at? What do you call it? Um, He called it your birth competency. Huh, interesting. Um, So it's like that God... Wires, there's one thing that you're really good at. And again, I don't want to emphasize that too much because that's probably not true of everybody, but I think some people probably could sit down and say, I think this is the one thing I do better than anything else. Mm, interesting. So just adding that little bit of a layer to and that. And you give credence to that? You think it's. Yeah, I think, think so. I think true. some people do have. If you look at people, you're like, they are just so good at that thing. Huh. Not every, you know, we all have multiple things. Um, there's other people that I, I just talked to somebody this morning who's talked about, they tend to be good at multiple things and it's hard for them to identify one, but that all is in kind of a skill set, though. Still, sure. I would still say, even if I thought about it, like I could point out the area where that's a, a very big competency. Huh, okay. Um, so just another way to another thought is like, is, is there one particular thing? So have you identified that within yourself? What would you say yours is? I think... Um, I hope, I think, I think the ability to take spiritual truth I encounter to synthesize it into a form that I want to give to people to make impact on their life. I hmm. think that's kind of what I would say Yeah, is mine. It can happen in a large group format or a small group, one, one-on-one or, but that's, that's kind of a long descriptor, but that's probably what I would say is Once again, is Garen mine. Forsyth reads the books. We don't have to. You're <laughs> synthesizing information. You're boiling it down. Yeah, I think just about everybody would echo that and say that's probably true. Okay, so maybe that's worth thinking about this week, right? Like, yeah, what's my birth competency? Not really, not one specific talent. I'm really good at this one thing, but like you said, kind of an overarching, yeah, an overarching ability that you have. Yeah, and maybe what is that? And are you 
are you, are you able to use that in your job? Because if so, you're really in your sweet spot. Probably. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay. So it's not just about ability and affinity though. Opportunity also plays a role. So what is going on around me, right? What doors are open to me? What stage of life am I in? What are my life circumstances? So talk about how opportunity kind of plays into this and affects it. Yeah. It's really huge. And that's why I appreciate Keller giving me these three things because I used to just talk about ability and affinity with people all the time. And that opportunity I realize is really important because I may be at a season of life where um, I've got a young family and my wife's need to be home with kids. And so right now I maybe am not in the job that fits me the very best, but the reality is of where we are right now, I just need to put some food on the table. And I'm trusting that in a few years, God will bring me into a season where I can pursue that. Or maybe I'm, I have to care for a spouse that has cancer. Or maybe my parents, I have a parent, you know, I had to go through this. I had parents that were moving closer to death and it affected some of my work stuff. Mm, yeah. Um, so it's just like, are there some circumstances or maybe something hasn't opened up yet? Or the only thing that's opened up is... Um, I just got one job offer and it's not in my total sweet spot, but that's what God gave me. So I'm going to be faithful in it, trusting that down the road, he can move me more. Yeah. So that's what I, to me, I don't know. What do you feel sure. like? What would be some? I think for my generation, and maybe it's more like, well, I'm, I'm still, I have so much student debt that I can't go and do what I want to do. Or, you know, um, yeah, like I've got to take care of my parents. I think some of my friends are in that age range now where like, I've got to be in this geographical place because I got to be close to my parents yeah. or maybe for some younger millennials, it's like, I'm still living with my parents. And so I'm kind of limited by that. So, I mean, same, same general idea, but just different obstacles. Yeah. But I think that's so important to remember and acknowledge because opportunity plays such a big role in it. Yeah. And just realizing that it's part of the, it's part of the equation. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it will always be that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but if it is for a season, then you got to take that into effect for sure. Yeah. And I said at first service and I didn't say at second and I kind of wish I would have, but how many people I've read about that, in because I love reading history, that you find out they didn't feel like they really got into the place they were really created for, whether yeah. they were Christians or not, until they were in their 50s. That was so And so it's cool. so easy, I think, to feel like I, in, out of college, I want to be in that thing yeah, right, right now. Yeah, right. And, you know, God, our lives come, you know, and unfolds over time and God just, there's just different things he does. And I don't know. And he's Lord of my life. So it's, can I be patient with the opportunities yeah. I have and not get frustrated? Totally. And I think that's one of the ways that social media makes our lives harder too, right? Sorry. Yes. I'm my throat real quick. <clears throat> because we see people um, in media and these people are elevated who from a young age have had their calling. Yes. You know, Steve Irwin's always done what he did. Well, he knew when he was eight, I should know. Or we see these people on social media and they're influencers or whatever. And it's like, well, they're so young and they're doing what they love. So we feel this kind of unspoken pressure to live into that. By the And if you're not doing your dream job, by the time you're 25, yeah. you're a failure. Yes, yes. And it's just not true. Yep, not true at all. So it's gotta be all three of those. And that, so that opportunity, I'm glad you brought that up, is really, really important. And I need to trust God with my life. And yeah, that he's, he's taken me somewhere and be patient with it. So, yeah. um, and then you wove it nicely into Nehemiah one and two, and you took us through and showed us all the words that correspond to these things. And we're not going to go through that, but man, it was so obvious. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how God brought his life together and focus at that point of time. I feel like 
into that that calling for him to yeah. go do that. Very cool. So was that something that right away when you read Nehemiah 1 and 2, you're like, oh, I need to talk about this. Or is, as you kind of look back over it, did it become more apparent to you? Yeah, no, I, like I said, I encountered, several years ago, I encountered that when I was, I don't even remember what the circumstance, but I was just reading Nehemiah chapters one and two. And I'm like, this guy had a calling that really unfolded and it came clear. And it, I just thought this really fits those questions that I talk with people about really well. So you came into this Nehemiah study knowing this is something you were yeah, going to talk this about. This one I knew I was going to, was going to be. That, that would drive me crazy, Garen, because you sat on all this great knowledge for so long. Yeah. I, I would like be bursting at the seams, you know, how do you walk around and, and just know like, man, for the next like 15 weeks, we've got some great stuff to talk about and just, it would be exploding out of me, but you've held your cards so well and brought it all at the right time. I, I don't, I've never thought about that before until this one where you've just got everything planned out and cause it's been so rich. So yeah. well, well done, Garen. And it's again, opportunity. You know, I felt like I want to walk through the book and let it speak to what it's saying and let, we're going to take the text for what it says and pull our principles out of it. I think this is in there and I think it's really good, but I'm going to come at, back to that at the end after we've walked through it. I would um, ask if you're a good poker player because of that poker face you had, but you're Baptist. <laughs> so I know that you don't play poker. Yeah. Don't even, I don't even know what poker, don't even know what cards is. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. After I became a believer, I was told one of the first things I was told is that cards are sinful. So I had to, I had to give up snap. I had to give up uh, Uno, old maid. I mean, it all went out the. You know, snap is something different these days. Snap might have been a card game. I'm guessing back in your day, but yeah, it's probably called something. <laughs> <laughs> snap is not not the same these days. Snapchat. Okay, uh, let's talk about cautions in the pursuit, Garen. Because as we're pursuing this calling, there's something you can look out for. The first is idealism. This is so spot on, right? Um, having to have that perfect vocation and just having, having to do, like you said, what we want right away Yeah, and realizing that no matter your age, even if you find your, your sweet spot at age 50, like there's never going to be a job that's perfect for you. Yeah. There's always going to be downsides. We live in a broken world. And if we elevate that job to being the ultimate, it's going to let us down. Yep. It will fail you. And that's what that article, I quoted a couple things from it. Guy is not even a believer, but he had actually heard Keller and been influenced by his idea of idolatry. And he talked about that work has become a major idol, that whole article in our culture. And multiple times in there, he says, if this is a thing you worship, he said, it will let you down. And yeah. really profoundly. And the guy's not even a believer. Wow. And what an that, astute but, observation. Yeah. But that's the truth. Even you get in that sweet spot, everybody, there's just stuff in the job you just have to do. So many of the things in my life, when I think on them, they just go back to that idolatry series you taught uh, a while ago. And it's that same principle. If we elevate anything and make it the most important thing in our lives, it cannot bear that weight. Yeah, it won't. And it will let us down. Yep. Even if it's going well, it will not feel like it's enough to us. Yeah. And you know, the dream job, quote unquote, is no different. Yeah. So that's so interesting. Yep. I loved how you, uh, maybe it was that article you're talking about, but that stat of, you know, millennials, they spend an average of three years in a job mm -hmm. and then they move. Yep. And I, you know, we've talked about this before, just the beauty in being, uh, faithful to a place Yeah. and the roots you can put down somewhere. And, you know, it's not bad to, to leave if you need to leave, right. but to leave just to do it, just cause yeah. you're itching to go do the next thing. That's yeah. not something that's probably good for us. Yeah. 
and you just have this idealistic view of what your work life should be like, which it's never going to be like that totally. And that's the reason people keep moving is because they're not finding 100% fulfillment right, in yeah. the thing, 100% fit. That's just not reality in a broken world. Mm. So That's a great observation. I'm not sure. I mean, I think I knew that in my soul, but for you to say it from the stage really helps me to, to think through some things. So that's really good. Uh, the second caution was against desire and passion. So not to make your job your everything, not to focus on it too much. Um, and I, I don't know, Garen, I guess I see kind of, how do I say this? We're kind of mm, disagreeing with ourselves a little bit because, uh, you know, a little bit ago, you just said, I'm supposed to think about the things that I really enjoy yes. and that could lead me to my sweet spot. Yes. And now in this caution, it's like, well, it's not totally about what you love to do. So can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I mean, if I love fly fishing, is God leading me to be a fly fisher guide? Or like, if I love, you know, doing whatever, does that mean that has to be my job? Talk about that a yeah. little bit. I think a couple of things are, and you you and I know this, we talk a lot about it. Our culture way overblows passion. So of those three circles, the one our culture wants to blow up huge is the affinity. And then in that affinity, it wants to put the passion as the big one and that the the holy discontent is a small one. It wants to make everything about what is your heart, what's your dream, that kind of thing. And that's part of the truth. But yeah, I mean, if you think about that, there's things that I love. I love playing drums, but I'm probably not going to make it with a with any major, you know, touring band. I'm not going to make it with, I, I, was, I won't say, I was just going to, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to, what's the thing I've heard that's doing Christmas music all around? Do they have drummers? Trans-Siberian Orchestra? No, it's even a newer one. Like, uh, the- Palestinics or I don't. Oh, pentatonics. Yeah, pentatonics. Not the Palestinics. <laughs> yeah, not the- That's a very different group. I don't think you'd be. I don't think you'd fit in in that one. Yeah, you can tell. Uh, I'm way too up on on modern. The Palestinics. <laughs> oh man, can you imagine? Okay, do the pentatonics have a have a percussionist? Did you, did you almost say the Pentecostals? Yeah, <laughs> they do have a percussionist. You know, the pentatonics do too. So, like, yeah. if I, I think, think they're so, happy with them, I don't think yeah. they're taking. Probably not. So, right. if I were to show them, and say, "Hey, can I take his place?" They'd probably say no, and I'd be like, "Hey, but I really yeah. love this." They'd be like, "Well, you don't care. Like, right. he's a lot better than you are, right?" Yeah. So, I do. There's things I love, and that's why this idea of avocation that that some of my passions are not meant to be my career, but it's meant it's things that I can do as a hobby or things that I love to help fill me up. So I can, you know, I can shake eggs on the stage, and I can play at home some, or I can play racquetball, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be a professional racquetball player. Okay. So maybe some of my passions are meant to be turned into my avocation, not into my vocation. Yeah. So that's, that's one thought. So as part of determining, you know, where your passions fit in, which, which umbrella it's under, is part of that the community, like asking somebody who's wise? Yes, because wise people would tell you, like, because I knew a kid like years ago in church, teenager here at 12, who was convinced he wanted to play in the NBA and he just poured his whole life into basketball. And, uh, I just kept thinking, you know, it'd be great if some people who knew him better could just say, you know, you're probably, you probably won't even make the Emporia state basketball team when you get out of high school. So maybe start pouring your life in this, you know, keep playing. That's fun. That's great. But your future is going to be somewhere else, you know? Yeah. yeah. So community is important. I think in that helping us, but that, that asking others what we should do with our lives, it's like, so not happening in culture. No, not at all. In fact, it's probably foolish and unnecessary in the secular eyes Yes. of like, why would I include them in this thing that is so important for me? And 
it's it's really my choice and my decision. So I should get to make it. It's very individualistic in America, but you're pushing against that and saying, actually in Jesus communities, we need to live in community. And part of that is taking things to, what did you say the Quakers call it? The uh, A clearness community. Taking it to a clearness community, right? Yeah. And just saying, hey, here's something I'm thinking about. Would you guys pray through this with me for a week or a month? And let's just see what God tells us. That's so foreign to the world. Yeah. It's probably foreign to a lot of Christians too. Yeah. But I think what you're calling us to is to live differently than maybe just how we see it happening in the Western world. Yeah, very much so. I even, I mean, the whole thing, when my first church, there was a guy who taught Sunday school who was convinced he had the gift of teaching. Nobody who sat in the audience was convinced he had the gift of teaching. And if he had ever sat with the community and said, hey, am I good at this? They would have said, no, but maybe maybe you should find a different spiritual gift because you think you've got it, but we don't think you've got it. That yeah. It's really, it is important. And people can see things in us we can't, or we're overblown in our thinking on something and they can help temper that mm-hmm. or whatever. He could have used a clearness community. Yeah. Do you think the bigger obstacle for Christians is either one, um, that we would be open to the idea of a clearness community or two, that we would be in a community that actually values that and would come around us because I don't, I mean, I don't know. What's the bigger obstacle there? Do you think? Um, that's a really good question. I think that we just think in our culture that I should live life on my own. I know my dreams. I pursue my dreams. It's all I, 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 and these aren't kind of normal things, but it's the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is about being in community. And Paul and Silas got sent in the context of a praying, worshiping community, right? There was the community agreed that the spirit called them to this. And we're, we're just so individualistic that I think sometimes we maybe launch into directions that really aren't wise. And if we had just, I mean, the couple I copped up talked about, it looked like a really great opportunity, but as we probed and asked a lot of questions, it really became clear that that really wasn't a good fit. And it's so important to end this clearness community if you form one. It's not just a bunch of yes men. I think that would be the right. hard part. Yes. Because Kate and I did this with a, a small group of friends a couple of years ago with something we were working through. And they're great, but I remember going through it and just being like, there's no way these people are going to like push back on me. And I think if I was going to do it again, and I, and I, I hope I do at some point, Cause I want to be that kind of, um, I want to be that kind of believer where I'm leaning on community. Um, I think I will choose people that are less my friends and more my just like spiritual peers mm. or people who are a little ahead of me in the walk. So they're not going to be afraid to ask hard questions because I just included my close friends. And I think it was almost like, you know, I could sense that no one wanted to push back or anything. So I think finding a group that isn't just your buddies, <clears throat> excuse me, but is actually wise spiritually is, is really key. Yeah. So, so I think that's, uh, that's all helpful and part of what is part of the whole process is yeah. I think we need to bring others in. So on let's it. be, let's be a weird community that actually does that. Let's be a really unique place that yeah. actually values that in that way. Yeah. And pretty cool. Okay. So that was one of the pieces of advice. You kind of ended with some advice. So, you know, using that community to help you discern things, um, pursuing faithfulness, you know, working hard, focusing on small things that scale. So even if I'm in a job I don't love, I can I can hone things in that are going to help me in yep. other jobs yes. too. Yep. Good work ethic. Yeah. Dependability. Yeah. Things like that. Yep. Doing it something when I don't feel like it, but I still do it. I develop that faithfulness skill that yeah that you just do things yeah. that scales anywhere. So and then uh, the last one, just be patient. Right. It might not happen right away. I love that you said. Jesus spent 30 years 
prepping for three years of ministry for three hours of purpose. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's pretty awesome. That the vast, like over 90% of his life was in obscurity and yeah. preparation. Yeah. Our Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. the creator of the universe, he had to be patient. And yeah. so if he can do it, so can I, right? The more you look at the life of Jesus, the more you realize how much he really modeled for us. You know, he, he's not a God that says, okay, go do it. He, he, yeah. he jumps in first. And even in this whole calling thing and, and, you know, living prep, living in preparation of our vocation, he, he did it too. Yeah. Pretty neat. Too. Pretty neat. Um, okay. Lastly, for the retired, you kind of ended here with a quote from Gordon Smith that I thought was so good. You, you talked about how he says that we retire to an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, thought that was really interesting. And I mean, I'm not in that phase. You're closer than I am. So I don't know. Talk about that for a second. Yeah. I mean, our culture, the whole retirement, the story that is being told now is when you retire, it's like, it's just, you just rest and it's just leisure and it's have fun and do what you want to do. You're done. You put in your time. You're done with that. God calls me to kingdom work and kingdom advancement in my whole life. That's why I asked the question. One of the questions is, what am I, what am I, am I glorifying God in my whole life? And that doesn't stop at retirement. And it's like, okay, I still have these gifts and abilities. I still have these passions, this broken, these things where I feel the brokenness of the world. I have my personality and temperament. How can I put that into play where I'm at now and still make a kingdom difference? And I, I mean, Scott Waters is a great example of that. He has leveraged all of those things and he's still involved with college students. Like he has, he's not paid for it, but he's discipling young guys and making a major impact because he's still leveraging those things in a different way after retirement. And that, yeah, so retirement's not a stop and relax and just chill out the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Take it easy some. You don't have the same responsibility, but there's so much. I don't know if that generation knows how much they have that the younger generation wants. They have Mm -hmm. so much to give. Yeah. And if so, if all of us in our retirement continued to, ask what's my calling here? I think the impact we could have. And that's the story of history. I, again, people in their 50s and their 60s, 70s, most of the impact that comes out of you, Tim Keller didn't start writing books till he was like 55. Like his major impact was at the end of his life. So yeah. don't, yeah, if you're retired, don't fret that, fritter that away. Maybe some of your greatest impact can come in that time of your life. So Yeah, and if you're in that phase of life, as a younger person, I would just say, don't discount what you bring to the body because as somebody who's in this younger generation and is hungry for that, man, we desire to hear what the older generation thinks about things. And um, yeah, we value that. And so when those people are, are not present, um, we miss out for sure. Part of the body's missing. Yeah. So still a lot to do, even if you're in retirement. Okay. I think that's what I've got. Garen, yeah. you left a lot on the cutting room floor. Anything else you wanted yeah, to tie up with? Yeah, one quick thing. That, okay, sure. Again, back with that passion. And I, I didn't even mention this, but the idea that um, sometimes several people I read talked about this, that sometimes you find your passion on the back end, not on the front end. I, I maybe have things in my college, like I, this is my passion. I end up not getting in a job in that area, but I just talked to a guy over Thanksgiving who the job he got in was kind of related to his degree, not really. And he said, I would not have known how much I love what I do. I wouldn't have guessed it back then. So God put him in a place and he found that he actually had a passion for it at the back end of it. And so again, 
um, God, let God work in your life and maybe he'll put you in a thing and you're like, what am I doing here? And you may find out that actually that is a passion in there mm. and it, it unfolds and comes out by doing it. Yeah. Um, so just more thoughts that don't, don't make this an ideal. Just let God unfold your life and just try to be faithful with what he's given you. Yeah. And just trust. Um, I think it's hard to trust sometimes when we're young and want to make it right away and want to have immediate impact. But I don't think impact as we view it is the same as impact the way God views it. So yeah. just keep that wide view and, and trust him that we're, you're where you need to be. Okay. That's what we've got. 12th. Hope this was so useful to you. One more week of Nehemiah. So kind of epilogue part two next week, and then we'll be into Christmas Eve. So um, we're excited for it. Garen, thanks for bringing us this far. Man, you got one week left. One week left. You've run like, how far is that marathon? 20? Yeah, this is 26 like- 26 point whatever. Yeah, so, so you're at like, 26. You're at the sprint yeah, here Yeah, getting now, there. Yeah. At the very end. Okay. All right. We'll see you guys there.